0: lesson for today, which is the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all of the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not even one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all has been accomplished." Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The gospel of the Lord. people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Earlier this week... I saw a TikTok that kind of captured my attention. If you're familiar with TikTok, videos are not very long. Some of them are only a few seconds long. And this one was a simple caption. And the caption of this was, a cat raised by dogs. And I don't know if you're a dog person or if you're a cat person, but if you're a dog person, you know, whenever a dog greets you, it's so happy to see you. It will stand up straight, its tail usually pokes out, and it, they just get this, this bright look on their face. And in this video that I saw, this cat must have been raised for, as a kitten in a house with only dogs, and therefore it must have thought it was a dog because this cat is standing there the same way that a dog was, standing up straight, its tail straight out with this bright-eyed look and this huge open mouth smile if a cat can do that, like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. It was the weirdest thing because let's face it, if you are familiar with cats, they are not dogs. I know this because I have a cat and she is a cat in every sense of the word, but it is perhaps plausible to consider the possibility that maybe a cat raised in a certain environment might think it is something different. And here's why I think that. My cat is completely black, she's an all black cat. And here in Underwood, where I'm at, we have squirrels around, and there is a recessive trait that, ha- that occurs in the genes of certain brown squirrels that actually makes them all black. It's very rare, it's becoming a little bit more common, but it's still a pretty rare thing. But here in Underwood, we have these all black squirrels. So there are many, many times when my cat jumps up in the window And she looks out the window and she can see these all black squirrels. And I don't know if in her small, roughly walnut-sized brain, if she's looking outside and she sees there are animals that are about the same size as me and they're colored the same, we must be the same thing. So either she thinks that she's a squirrel Or maybe she thinks that the black squirrels are actually cats. I don't know exactly how she thinks about it, but she sits there in the window and she chatters at them, which makes me think she's trying to communicate. That's the only thing I can think of. Maybe she thinks she is something that she is not, but in in truth, my cat is all cat. And if you've got cats, you know what it's like. They don't care about much of anything. They sleep all day like 20 hours a day, and if you dare to bug her, if I dare to walk in the room where she's sleeping, she will look at me with such contempt it's not even funny. Now, there are times when perhaps she thinks that she wants to share in my body heat, so I might be laying on the couch and she'll jump up next to me. Not because she loves me, not she because she cares about me, but because I'm warm and she wants to take my heat. That being said, there are also times when my cat acts in true cat fashion like, you will love me now, and this is how you will love me. You will pet me, beginning at a point approximately one inch below the base of my skull, straight down along my spine to a point exactly one inch from the base of my tail. You will not deviate. If you deviate, I will bite you. You will pet me in this way exactly 11 times. If you go a 12th time, I will bite you. And if I feel like it in the midst of you petting me those 11 times, I will bite you anyway. Cats are going to be cats. That's just the way they are. A cat can be nothing else, even if it thinks it is. Now, I want you to take that idea and tuck it in the back of your head, because that same idea is lying underneath our passage for today. Now, What's interesting about this passage, where we are at, we're in the continuation of this Sermon on the Mount, this long period of teaching that's like three chapters long from Jesus, when he has gathered his disciples as well as some crowds around him. And that's the way that Matthew chapter five starts. It begins, Jesus goes up a mountain and he calls his disciples to him and they all sort of sit down together and he is teaching them directly as well as these large crowds that are gathering around. Now, there's a little bit of ambiguity. Is he speaking only to his 12 disciples? Or is he, only, is he speaking to everyone? And maybe, just maybe, it's both. I think that's certainly logical. But as the teaching starts, we hear about the Beatitudes, which of course was our message from last week, if you happen to catch that, when Jesus is making these statements of blessing. But what's interesting about those statements is they are very kind of generic initially. Jesus doesn't seem to be talking about anyone specific, more just types of people or people who are displaying certain personality traits. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's kind of making all of these different statements. And I can almost just picture Jesus just sitting there waxing poetic. Blessed are these general types of people. Blessed are these types of people as well until... The very last statement, which is in the the verse immediately preceding this one, the very last of the Beatitudes, Jesus then changes the focus away from generally speaking about these folks over here to his audience, to you. And Jesus says, Blessed are you when they persecute you and revile you and speak all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Remember they did the same to the prophets who were before you. Jesus changes his address from generic to the direct, addressing his audience. Now remember, that was the disciples. It was also probably the crowd. And I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit now 2,000 years later, we are part of his audience as well. Blessed are you. Now, as we move into our passage for today, we continue to see this little bit of transition. In the first couple of verses, Jesus still has that focal point in on you. And he's talking about a couple of different things before then he'll transition in the back portion of our passage and in what's coming up, and talking about understandings of the law and understandings of faith and understandings of the way we practice our faith and live things out, all of these different things, which sometimes seem very critique-like. But before he gets to that, Jesus is bringing the focal point in on his audience and he's talking about you. Now, I really like these metaphors, these two metaphors that Jesus gives when he starts talking about salt and light. And I'll full on admit, just like my cat has to be a cat and acts like a cat, I am a science guy. And so as soon as I start hearing these things, the science brain perks up and I start to think, oh, I have ways of thinking about that. So that's what we're gonna explore. In fact, earlier this week in conversation with my wife, who is also a pastor, she asked the question, hey, science guy, let's talk about this. Jesus starts talking about salt and then he starts talking about light. Well, let's start with salt. You are the salt of the earth, but... If salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is worth nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Weird deal, isn't it? I thought a lot about that. And I thought all about salt and what does salt do and what does salt accomplish and what's the purpose of it and how can all this happen? I was thinking along these lines. Now let's think about salt. It's got a lot of different uses, but perhaps the main two for seasoning food, we can also say probably for preserving food. If you ever look at uh, foods with a lot of preservatives, there's a lot of salt in there. So food, and then to be thrown out on the road when it gets icy outside, right? When we get salt now, today, we go to the store and what we get is pure salt. We have refining techniques that make it really good. Jesus' day, things were a little bit different. And this is where context is important. Now, there were two ways of getting salt back in Jesus' day. Sometimes you would go down in a salt mine where they had found deposits of of pretty pure salt, and you'd go down there and you'd hack off a chunk. The other way would be to go to the ocean side, and you would dig around the edge, especially when it's low tide, and you would dig up all the salt deposits that were left behind from the water. And especially around the Dead Sea, which is the highest salt concentration of anywhere on the planet, this was really, really effective. But think about it. If you go out there with your bucket and your shovel and you're digging around the seashore, yeah, you're going to get some salt, but you're going to get some other stuff too. You're going to get sand. You're going to get sediment. You're going to get various little other things that are mixed in with that salt. Now imagine you've got your bucket of your your salt, sand, sediment mixture and some water gets on it. Well, then salt's going to do what salt's going to do. It's going to dissolve in that water. And if all that water runs off, guess what? Your salt is gone and what's left behind the sand, the sediment, all that stuff that's got no salt value whatsoever. So I think this is what Jesus is kind of talking about when he starts talking about salt losing its saltiness, because if you've got nothing left but sand, you might as well throw it out in the road where people can walk on it, right? But let's get scientific, because that's really where this breaks down, and this is what makes me chuckle when I think about this metaphor that Jesus is using. Salt, one of the most abundant molecules on the planet, or compounds, it's actually called, when two different elements, sodium and chloride, when they come together to make sodium, or sodium and chlorine, excuse me, and they come together and they chemically bond into what we call sodium chloride, AKA table salt. Now, salt in its very nature cannot not be salty. In order for the salt to lose its saltiness, it has to cease to be. It has to literally become something else. So salt cannot not be salty. This is where maybe Jesus' metaphor, well, good, gets a little wonky. Let's talk about light. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. And then he says, No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all the house. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And these are all good metaphors. Light moves out. Light scatters out. And if there is light in, if there's a light source, it's going to cast light. That's just what it does. No one would ever light a lamp and then cover it because it defeats the whole purpose of lighting the lamp in the first place. And think about this. A city on a hill, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, and there's, it's completely dark because electricity doesn't, doesn't exist yet, and there's a city up there, and every one of the houses has lamps or fires or whatever, they're going to cast light, and you're going to be able to see that for miles. It cannot be hidden. It will broadcast itself by the very essence of light. Light, in its very essence, cannot not light things up. That's the way it is. Salt, in its essence, cannot not be salty. So what's that mean for us? Jesus says, be these things. You are these things, so be those things. Maybe, just maybe, what Jesus is telling you, because remember, you are the audience. Maybe Jesus is telling us, reminding us that all we can be is what we have been made to be. God has made you lovingly. The one who made you has also claimed you and called you beloved child, asking you, inviting you to simply be you in the world. And by being you, by being the you that God intended you to be, you change the world around you just like the salt changes things and just like the light changes things. That's all we can do. But here's the thing. God also knows that none of us are perfect, and that in our very nature, we are broken and flawed people. God calls us good, but we're not perfect, and we will never, ever manage to live up to the expectations, if we want to use those words. We will never earn our way into heaven. A word that we use is righteousness. In fact, we hear that in our passage today. We can never actually achieve it through following the rules and avoiding all the bad stuff and trying to do all the good stuff, no matter how good of our intentions, we are never, ever going to make it. And I think God knows that. But thanks be to God that God is doing something about it. If We think about the ministry of Jesus, which is where we're at in this passage when he's proclaiming all these things. The essence of Jesus' ministry seems to be that God has sent Jesus into the world and Jesus is God, and I know that's kind of weird, but so God enters the world in order to bring the kingdom of heaven here. We can't get there, so God comes here. And God invites us into it. And whatever it is that Jesus was accomplishing through his life and his death and his resurrection, and just somehow making it possible for us to receive it when it is given to us. That's the whole basis of the gospel. We can't earn it, so God gives it to us as a free gift. God claims us and brings us into the body of Christ, into the kingdom of heaven. God invites us into it, not because we have done anything super special, but simply because God loves us. And God invites us to be the us that we are. And when we recognize that we don't have to earn our way into it, we can live our lives in a way that reflects that freedom, and we can share that freedom, and we can therefore change the world around us. That is what we are called to do. I'll go back to those metaphors for just a minute. Salt and light. They're both interesting things. They're both good things. I don't think any of us would would argue with that. But here's the thing about salt. Salt is good. Too much salt will kill you. You ever heard of high blood pressure? But on the flip side, the way our bodies work, we need salt in our systems to transfer those electrical signals from our brains around to keep our body functioning. So too much salt will kill you, not enough salt will kill you. I guess we just got to have enough, right? What about light? Light is the basis for life on this planet. Without the energy released by the sun in sunlight, our planet would not exist. Our planet would not work. Life as we know it, I should say, would not function. If the lights went out on the sun, life would cease to be real quick. So not enough light will literally kill us. But too much light can give us that thing called skin cancer. So maybe, just maybe, too much can kill us too. Too much can harm us, and not enough can harm us. This is where the metaphors... Step away from us being us. Remember, Jesus is talking to you, asking you to be the you that you are. And you can never, ever be more you or less you. All you can be is you. And you are the one that Jesus calls.